Hey everyone, my online course on the rehabilitation of the fitness athlete with Dan Pope is on sale this week. If you want to work with higher level fitness athletes and help people get back into the gym after an injury, this is the course for you. Head to MikeRandall.com slash fitathlete to learn more and sign up this week. On this episode of the podcast, we talk about some of the return to sport testing we do after ACL reconstruction to look at functional capabilities. The Ask Mike Reinhold Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to make sure you knew about my free online course on the introduction to performance therapy and training. If you want to learn how to get started optimizing and enhancing performance, this is the course for you. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash performance to sign up today. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike, Mike Reynolds Show. We're here at Champion PT and Performance up in Boston. I'm here with Mike Scaduto, Lenny McCrina, Dewesh Podell, Kevin Coughlin, Lisa Lowe, Dave Tilly, Dan Pope here answering your questions. Anything you want to talk about, head to MikeReynolds.com, click on that podcast link. Well, anything you, in, in all honesty, anything, physical therapy, sports performance, career advice, opening your own business, anything you want to talk about, head there and ask us questions. We'll keep answering them on future episodes. Len, do you need a, a moment to gather yourself? But I just want to prepare you. You want to introduce the students today? Oh, wait, wait, me? Okay. Um, yeah. Also, <laughs> can we get questions about golf swings too? We answer those questions as well. Anyway. Yeah, that's, you know, it's a good point. You got to be careful because then now we're going to get inundated with questions. There was one anyway. episode we did something like funny like that. And it had to do with something about gymnastics. And I, we literally got like 12 questions the next day all about <laughs> gymnastics injuries. And I'm like, like we can't, can't answer these all. Like we, we tackled a couple no. of them. But anyway, yeah, we what do we got believe- today, Len? We don't believe in gymnastics. Uh, just kidding. Uh, from we have great students today working from right to left on your on your dial. We have Dean Bono from George Washington University. We have Grace Suggs. Yep, Grace Suggs from uh, Duke University. We have Dan Chappelle from University of Rhode Island in the beautiful state of Rhode Island, the Ocean State. We have Sean Bean from UNLV and Aaliyah Penner. I think I'm saying her name right because I have a Boston accent from Duke University. Anna. Yeah, oh, I didn't Anna. Even think of that. Yeah, yeah. Have, that's a tough Ali- name for us because you'd be Alier Alier Penna. Alier Penna. Yeah, that's a tough. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. Yeah, that's like when I lived in Hoover, Alabama. Right. That was that was that was a tough place to live. Anyway, awesome. All right. What do we? Who do we have for a question today? This one's going to be telling, by the way. I'm curious who's going to jump in. All right, we've got Jillian from Maryland. Uh, what are your sound, reliable return to sport tests that you all utilize for post-anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction athletes? Do they differ based off of the level of the athlete, whether they're high school, college, or professional? A lot of the research I've found in this area is based off of time post-surgery, versus validated testing for functional capacity. 
Awesome. Great job, Chappelle. Welcome to the show. First question, right? Yeah. I like it. Everybody give them a virtual clap when you're, you know, commuting in the car. Don't take your hands off the steering wheel. But uh, good job, Dan. I like it. Awesome. Sorry. So return to sport testing after ACL. Uh, Huge topic. Everybody's talking about this. It's super complex. I've seen so many things out there that people are talking about from, you know, minimal things to quite comprehensive, which you could argue that it is too much kind of kind of things. Um, I, I think we're a good example for this conversation because I think we we have a blend of some scientific things like like you said, sound reliable uh, things with a ton of experience. Right. So there's certain things like we don't do that. I think some people do do because we just haven't found it to be as valuable in our hands. So, um, I, you know, I think this would be good. You know, we, we, we have some extra stuff that we've, we've done recently over the last year or so with, uh, with Vald for force plate technology that, you know, we're really happy about and really excited about, but we also realize that not everybody has that. So, um, there's definitely things you can do in your clinic no matter what, but Len, why don't you take the lead on this? And then maybe you and you and Dewesh can kind of tackle this episode because I know you've been working on kind of systemizing kind of an updated process for us at, at champion. But, um, what's our current thoughts on this Len? Always evolving, always trying to figure out what's best. Um, it's, and it's complicated because as the person said, it's a lot of it is time dependent, um, at least in the literature and, and, and still for many doctors. And so, um, I think it's kind of shifted now that nine months seems to be the earliest to get people back. I think that's pretty, pretty accepted now for most even surgeons who tend to be a little slower in adopting some of these policies. Um, but for us, I mean, we, we, um, we started out using, we still use a handheld dynamometer. Uh, Mike mentioned that we have the Vald, um, but we still think that the handheld dynamometer is still a valuable tool. And yes, it can be expensive. They are a thousand dollars typically, but it sometimes is a really good tool to have kind of in your clinic, because I think you can use it for shoulder and knee. And in this example for the knee, um, I'd probably recommend testing at least knee extension, but also knee flexion. And I would start that probably at about uh, 12 weeks out of surgery. So around 12, about three months out of surgery, that's when I would start testing and start getting some baseline stuff. Uh, Ideally, if you see them pre-op, I would want to get them, I would want to get them tested during that pre-op stage as well, because that's when they are at their strongest, meaning I want to test their uninvolved side. Because that's their, that's going to be their gauge. That's how you're going to know, um, uh, you know, with their leg symmetry index and if they, if they're matching their, their uninvolved side. So I would try to test pre-op and I would start testing probably monthly, every four to six weeks, starting at 12 weeks, using at least a handheld dynamometer. Um, and I would test it by testing into a strap, not holding a handheld dynamometer and get a quad index that way. Um, and again, you're expecting by the time it's nine months, they're nine months out. We hope that they have at least a 90% LSI. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think it should be a hundred plus percent LSI. Why are we settling for a 10% deficit in our athletes, uh, especially at nine months out? So I would try to at least get that. And then for us, we are using force plates and the force deck from Vald, where we're looking at beginning to look at, um, at 12 weeks out, roughly, we're looking at a squad assessment. We're looking at symmetry. On the squad assessment, can they load, can they at least keep symmetry in a body weight position? So just doing body weight, and then we'll add weight to them. We've been doing 15% of body weight and 30% body weight, holding a dumbbell and having them squat. And it's amazing to see once they start getting up into that 30% body weight, they start losing the ability to maintain symmetry early on in that testing protocol. So three, four, five months out. 
And then they are able to hold off, be able to maintain symmetry. And then we start adding kind of movement jumps. We start adding um, uh, isometric mid, mid thigh pulls, looking at power production in that position as well. So, so many different things that you can do. Um, I don't want to keep going on and on, but, but we're building, we're always building on that. So going from a squat to a counter movement jump to isometric mid thigh pulls to looking at agility stuff. So using blaze pods um, and, and, and maybe getting a time reference or a five ten five drill where they have to run down and pivot on their involved leg and then sprint back and then measure for, for time there and then have them do it where they're pivoting back on their uninvolved side come sprinting back. I think Eric Miera talks about that test. That's a nice, nice way to isolate the involved versus the uninvolved side to see what the time difference is in, in a functional agility type uh, um, movement. So, you know, just a few ideas that, you know, we can throw out there, but again, it's complicated. We're still building it, but it is a building process to get them to nine months post-op. All right. So Dude, what I do you think? A, I got a bunch of, I got a bunch of questions on I that. Know. So, I so, threw so, a lot out there. No, but that's good. But, you know, you know, so I, I think strength's a big one, right? And I think that's one of the things yes. to say. So, you know, our friend Lane Bailey just, um, he just, um, he just released a new paper in IJSPT that um, I'm actually about to interview him for an episode of my other new podcast that we're going to do to talk about his article a little bit. But he talked about uh, measuring strength of hip abduction, abduction as well, and how it correlated to a lack in subjective and uh, like physiological readiness scores at the time to return to play that were still persistent at two years. Right. So, you know, if it, what he used for a threshold was one third your body weight for hip abduction, just as an example. And if you were below that, you, you, you didn't feel good. Right. You didn't you didn't feel ready. So right. I, I think the general concept of that is is we measure strength. And to go back to Jillian's question a little bit, you know, we do this time based because we want to check strength over time. So if you're let's say you're starting a strength assessment at 12 weeks, you might want to do that monthly to make sure that they're progressing rapidly. And now you'll have several months to pivot if somebody hasn't right and i think that's an important concept you don't want to just do a return to play testing at nine months and be surprised that their strength's not there right so i think that's an important one so you know quad hamstring ratios of that hip abduction those are big uh you know we started using isometric mid-thigh pull just as another variable for that um but i I, you know i i I think that's I, i think to me that's the basis of that um Next up, let's Dwesh, let's talk about force plates a little bit more specifically with some of the things we look at with, for example, maybe like a squat jump, a counter movement jump. Like what does that tell you in somebody that's coming back from a big injury and their readiness to get back to their sport based on that force plate data? Yeah, for sure. So that um the, the battery of tests between counter movement jump, squat jump, and then we'll even, you know, later stage in the rehab process, maybe use like a hop test, like a repeat 10 hop test to test for true RSI, reactive strength index or maybe like a, a drop jump where you drop off the box and then jump back up. Um, but those battery of tests can tell us quite a bit as far as, you know, athletically, what are you ready to do? Um, and then also the cool thing about Vault is that it also does tell us symmetry within those movements as well. So you get an idea of not only are you symmetrical on an isometric test or a simple, you know, squat assessment where you're looking at, are you able to load one side versus the other? But we also get an idea of, are you using, you know, fairly symmetrical, um, you know, forces for, for your legs when you're doing a simple counter movement jump versus when you're doing a squat jump where you pause the bottom versus when you're doing a repeat 10 hop test, right? So the, the athletic demands as they increase, are you, you know, favoring a strategy where you're avoiding that, that surgery side? So we get to look at that. Um, and then the other cool thing is we, we do definitely get the track a little bit more relevant power and a little more relevant strength. What I mean by that is like, 
a barbell squat or your, your ability to squat heavy or deadlifts heavy again, can only go so far, right? We know that sport in nature is way more dynamic than that. It's not just simple force production, but it's a lot more about, um, can you produce force and can you produce force fast? And can you, you know, eccentrically load really fast and hit the brakes really hard and then come out out of that movement. Right. So the cool thing about the force plate technology is it tells us not only like when you do a jump, it doesn't just tell us how high you jump. It tells us how much force you're creating on the eccentric on the descent, right? How hard and how fast are you hitting the brakes to stop your momentum so that you get to zero velocity and then how much force are you having to put into the ground to overcome that entire movement to get back up into a concentric phase. And then eventually how much force are you putting at takeoff to leave the ground, right? So all those like in-depth metrics can give us a ton of insight. And if we start tracking that, let's say like, I know, you know, Lenny and I had, I had talked about introducing a counter movement jump at week 16, right? When the, when the athlete had started to do some hopping and do a little bit of jumping. But if we look at the metrics at week, week 16, we compare again at nine months, do they make appreciable progress in that, right? Or was it just a force production that went up, right? Is our RSI still really low? If the reactive strength index is really low, I mean, chances are that you're not that ready for your sport, right? Especially for a contact sport or, you know, an, an impact sport like basketball or volleyball or something like that. So I think all these metrics and having an in-depth understanding of what's happening within a simple counter movement jump can give you a ton of insight that you can relate back to the actual sport and say, all right, the athlete is strong, but maybe they're not actually reactively strong to actually withstand the, the forces of the sport. That's so awesome. that's, that's kind of what we're looking at right now. And I hope Jillian, I hope that answers a little bit of like your functional capacity question a little bit, because I think that's how we look at that. And, and notice how we talked about strength, power, but then breaking down those types of functional capabilities, the, the quantitative type assessment of looking at their ability to jump and their symmetry and, and how reactive they are, that type of thing. Now, there's a whole nother side of that that's probably more qualitative, right, than quantitative that that we often don't talk about here, but it's it's how well do they jump? It's not just what's their force output, but what's maybe their kinematics that they do it. And I think that's something that we probably don't do enough, anybody really, because it, it's really hard to, to scrutinize that. So I think the future is coming with some of the abilities to track biomechanics, like with just using the cameras on our phones and stuff like that. I think we're going to get better with that. There's a couple of devices that are out there that try to do it that, that's out there. But um, but I, I, I think to, to me, that's, that's a big uh, basis. So force output, strength, uh, agility type things, their speed, these are the, the types of things uh, we kind of look at. Um, one question I wanted to throw out to, to anybody, and then we'll kind of open it up for more discussion. But one thing we haven't talked about is like hop tests, for example, which are like, you know, the, the that, I, I, yeah. I was going to say gold standard, but gold standard applies that they're awesome. Right. But, you know, like we, I, we don't really hop test that much. Um, you know, we hop test probably when the physician asks us to, to give us the thing, but it's not like something that we necessarily put in our battery of tests. Right. So, I mean, Len, you want to jump in and why, why, I mean, unless I'm wrong, I mean, maybe you do more hop tests yeah. than I do, but. No, I mean, I, I also want to clarify because Dewey did mention a hop test, but it, it's not the hop test that PTs yeah. know. Good it's point. not the the hop for distance or the or the side to side hop. It's literally doing ten hops in a row on the force plate to get repetitive jumping and landing to see how much force they can produce and how quickly they can produce. Yeah, it's so different point. than the hop test in the literature. And going back to that question, Mike, it's that hop test maybe it has some value to give you kind of a a, a qualitative look to see how much they how high how they can do with jumping and landing techniques but i think what we're seeing in the literature it's not the horizontal hopping that we're most con concerned with it's the uh, vertical hopping 
that we're most concerned with because that's the best way to bet that's the best way to quantify quad involvement in a functional dynamic powerful pattern is a, a vertical hop when you can when you do a horizontal hop like a hop test there are many substitution patterns that you can utilize in being able to jump and land and you can kind of cheat your way through it um, and so i think we're seeing that with some of the research that's out there is that vertical hopping is the best way to do it which is kind of the hopping that dewey taco is just basically straight up and down and looking at the amount of force they produce but then also maybe a slow-mo camera on your iPhone and looking to see how, how much valgus they get and how much internal rotation they're getting and comparing side to side, if they're still getting that and trying to kind of adjust for that. Cause we know that that's a high, high risk uh, pattern for a future injury is if they get into too much value. So I think more of the, it's the vertical hopping that we're more concerned with than the horizontal. Hop. It, it's pretty rare, at least in my experience that somebody knocks every test out of the park, like the strength test, the power test, they look completely amazing and then have the worst hop tests in in the world right, right. there it's, it's almost like you know, when you don't feel good you don't look good you don't have confidence in your limb and your strength's down then you're gonna hop poorly like yeah right like duh of course like we get that right so um, right yeah, and i think so, actually if we can I, just so i we don't get uh, exposed for not mentioning it doing an acl rsi or some kind of functional questionnaire can pull that out um i don't use it a lot um, I've used it in the past. I've found my athletes tend to cheat it through it because they wanted to get passable numbers. But if you use <laughs> some kind of subjective questionnaire with somebody you know is truly not confident in their movements and you give them this questionnaire, it'll come out and then they won't do well in some of these functional tests. Well, you just won't test them because they're just not ready for it mentally because they know they're not strong enough. So using some of these subjective questionnaires has been shown to kind of give you a a, a little guidance into how they how they feel they're doing. Yeah. And again, I, you know, the psychological readiness, I think is, is an, is an yep. emerging thing that we've learned a lot about over the last several years. Yeah. Hey, Dan, Dan, what, what else, what do you, what have you done in your experience? What, what do you think about some of these tests? Sure. Yeah. Um, I guess to, to go back on your point of the hop test, I, I think you have to be a little careful with it. Um, and also talking about what Lenny was saying is, is filming folks while they're doing their jumping. And I think this is really an ongoing thing. So if you're working with your athlete and you're doing jumping, you're constantly going to be cueing. You're going to be looking at the way they move a little bit. Um, but what I found a lot is you'll see athletes that have symmetry with jumping side to side on a variety of tests. But if you actually look at the video, um, they tend to use much more of a hip strategy, right? So when they jump and land, they're going to land with the hips pretty far back with minimal knee flexion. Maybe they're going to get a lot of hip drop um, from compensation standpoint. So um, you will potentially see some valgus, which maybe is putting them at higher risk for re-injury, but you're probably finding that quad weakness or that fear, or whatever it is of loading the knee. So if you're using that index as a barometer, whether or not they're safe to go back and you're seeing a lot of compensation, um, I think that's probably not accurate, right? You're probably still sending some of them back with the compensation strategy, despite passing those tests, you know, on paper. So I think that's something you have to be a little bit cautious with. Yeah. And probably something that happens, you know, quite a bit. And I think going back to, you know, what we talked before, about the psychological readiness score, like, you know, that's, that's an emerging science that we're, we're learning more and more about, but you know, again, it, it comes down to making sure that the person has confidence in their limb. And if, if you're working them through this and they're passing these tests and they're doing these jump tests, they're using force plate data, they're doing their strength, um, that in and of itself has a huge ability for them to build confidence in their limb. And, you know, uh, but if we're just throwing them at like a return to sport, 
cohort testing protocol at the nine month mark, you wonder if that has something to do with it, where it's just like fear of a test out of out of the blue, right? Where it's not something where like, oh no, I've been testing since week twelve, essentially like going through things. So, um, you know, you know, it, interesting to kind of put it all together. But you know, I you know, I think too, like you know, Lenny Lenny was really worried about this too. Again, you know, the point of this podcast today isn't to like talk about this is the comprehensive step A through Z on return to sport testing. For me, it's more about going back to Jillian's question is, is, is capacity, right? And how do we look at more functional capacities during our ACL return to sport testing versus like a comprehensive program? And, and I, I, I think that's the future. And that's one of the reasons why we upgraded to force plate data was I think we can get more out of that than just doing things like, like simple hop tests or, or balance tests. So, you know, I think that's a little bit of the future. Not everybody has access to that, of course, but you know, this, this is, this is the type of things, you know, we need to do over time. So, you know, strength, power development, the ability to produce force, both concentrically, eccentrically, absorb it during repeated hops. And there's so much to it that I think really relates to it. But if that's the type of thing we're running our athletes through and we're doing that sequentially over time, I think we're putting our athletes in a really good position to succeed when we get to that point, right? Makes sense. So awesome. All right. So great question. Thanks, Jillian. Hopefully that that kind of helped a little bit, kind of talking some of the specifics about, you know, capabilities that we can develop. If you have a question like that, head to microall.com, click on that podcast link, and we'll be sure to keep answering as much as we can. So in the meantime, please subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to microall.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeReynolds.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.